Guys, welcome back. Mac Rollins, Zen Cop here. Thank you for listening and thank you for being here. This is episode 14 here on Spotify and episode 27 if you are listening on YouTube. And this episode is brought to you by no one. That's right. I have no sponsors, no endorsements of any kind. All of this is on my own time and my own dime. And that is why it is so important for everyone to like and subscribe. If you dig the content, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, the more traction I get, the more I will be able to grow this podcast and reach larger audiences and hopefully help a lot of people out there currently struggling in this very demanding and very complex thing that we call life. Active shooters, definitely an ongoing saga as of late. If you are here to gain some sort of insight on tactics and the like, I assure you this podcast will go nowhere near it. There is so much information already out there on the tactics side of the house that it's actually becoming a, a bit redundant. And don't get me wrong. There's no such thing as too much preparation and training for active shooters. However, for purposes of what I will be talking about today, we are going to go much deeper or more accurately further back in time to better understand the reason why they happen as opposed to the actual response. Just like everything else, active shooters are not born. They are created over time. And quite frankly, I'm getting pretty sick and tired of all of these talking heads coming out of the woodwork every time we have an incident and then they quickly disappear after the dust settles. The only way we are going to be able to ever address the active shooter crisis effectively is when we start understanding that these individuals do not simply wake up one day and decide, hey, I want to kill. It is a very lengthy process and sometimes a process that can take years for these people to truly decide that they actually want to carry out an act of violence. The term active shooter itself has become a, a dinner table speaking point. It's becoming so common that at this point, I feel like the term itself is overused in some scenarios and it almost depends on the media outlet covering the story as to how it actually gets reported. More times than not, it will get used as a speaking point about gun control, and depending on the suspect's race, gender, and political affiliation, that will absolutely dictate just how far certain media outlets will go in terms of the information they supply to the public. I have literally watched certain scenarios where the suspect didn't necessarily fit the popular description that is needed to forward the anti-gun agenda, and almost as if it never happened, the story gets buried and ultimately goes away. If the shooter fits the criteria that the media likes or needs, or more importantly, what their audience will like, they will broadcast it over and over. The active shooter, uh, shooter scenario itself has literally become a political speaking point and has made its way into almost every single political arena over the last decade, despite this being an issue since the 1960s. As of late, however, I feel like the term active shooter is actually overused quite a bit. And in some cases, it's really not, not even applicable to the crime that occurred. If you were to try and define the term active shooter, you're going to see a variety of definitions at this juncture. More times than not, however, we are seeing what I would consider to be gang or criminal violence being broad brushed as quote unquote, you know, active shooter incident. And for me, <clears throat> there is a very big difference between an active shooter scenario and a criminal or otherwise gun violence scenario. And some of you may be asking the question, well, what's the difference? Gun violence is gun violence. And there are many fields of thought when it comes to this topic, but ultimately I see it as criminal violence versus pure evil. 
in the land of criminality and gang violence, there is a reward for their efforts. They get something as a result of whether it be street cred, drugs, money, whatever the case may be, there is a physical reward for their efforts, right? They set out to complete their mission and they are usually successful in their endeavors. Evil, however, is a very different kind of element and probably the scariest because for those individuals, there is no return. There is no reward, nothing they can actually take with their hands. Their objective is to kill and kill as fast as humanly possible. And the reward it's, it's internal. Uh, it soothes the pain or it creates happiness. There is a release of some kind within them, but again, nothing that they can physically take with them when they leave. The reward is death. And when we compare the two side by side, even the criminals who are willing to kill each other would say, wow, that's pretty fucked up. So when we hear those words, active shooter, active shooter, it automatically makes us think that there is a lone gunman, probably a white male adult between 18 and 25 years old, carrying an AR-15 who is going to kill as many kids as possible. Has that happened before? Absolutely. But far less than what people think. Personally, I don't really see a benefit in profiling any of these active shooters because the inconsistency is so widespread when we look at every individual side by side. There are quite literally people of every creed, race, religion, and more importantly, very diverse political affiliations where individuals have carried out uh, mass acts of violence against the public with almost no consistent target other than a breathing human. The most common theme among them obviously is violence, but their reasoning and sometimes complete lack of reasoning are all very different. And I know there are some of you right now who are saying, well, a lot of these attacks are, uh, you know, these attacks are racially motivated. I would agree that yes, there are some that are racially motivated. However, the reason why you think that is because those are the shootings that are covered day in and day out by the mainstream media after they occur. I have seen a variety of other shootings that were far more catastrophic and violent than any of the ones that were heavily publicized by the media. And the majority of those shooters had no ties to any sort of racial motivation. In fact, some of them were actually operating on a belief system that rejected both parties and shared no hatred towards anyone specifically, but rather a hatred for, for mankind overall. The commonalities that we need to seek and concentrate on are the ones that involve the shooter's childhood, their social standing, uh, a history of bullying, a parental structure or lack thereof, and uh, very importantly, medication. But I think the biggest problem that we have in regards to active shooters is that there is very little reason spent on the reason excuse me, very little time spent on the reason why, even if there isn't a reason at the time, or they didn't write a manifesto explaining why there is something that happened along the way that made this individual choose to go down this road. And the likelihood of those uh, shootings being a, a knee jerk reaction is highly unlikely. And for those scenarios that do take place that are based on a you know spur of the moment reaction, the shooters themselves are, are very ill-prepared and more times than not, the incident is stopped long before it actually takes place or if it takes place at all. Um, they are rarely successful in actually ending human life and a lot of those shootings are actually stopped before they even get the forethought to do it. And sadly, those don't make the nightly news, but I can personally attest to my agency as well as neighboring agencies and agencies across the nation for that matter that have successfully stopped an active shooter incident from happening because they chose to identify certain leads or they were given certain, uh, you know, privileged information that was reported or whatever it was, but ultimately they acted on them and stopped it from occurring. Sometimes, however, certain things go ignored or unreported and the worst case scenario actually takes place. 
Post scenario, however, is probably some of the most chaotic few days ever imaginable. And it is probably one of the worst times to discuss any type of plan for the future because everyone will be operating on an emotionally driven response. Something that I always say is when's the best time to plan for an earthquake? Well, during the earthquake is not ideal. Unlike earthquakes, however, active shooters are far more predictable than the shifting of the earth, as disturbing as that sounds. And this begs the question how do we get ahead of it, or ideally, how do we stop it? And how do we stop it long before it actually happens? I have been a student of violence for many years, and in particular, I have studied and researched active shooter incidents, both past and present. And I believe that the answer to much of what we are facing lies in the fact that society thinks this is a new issue. In fact, most people, if you ask them, would say Columbine was the first active shooter incident in America, and they would be wrong. Many people have never heard of the Texas Tower incident, and that's because many people think that active shooters are a new issue when, in fact, as stated previously, they have been around much longer than people think. I'm going to talk about a man named Charles Whitman. Charles was born in 1941 and grew up in the state of Florida. He was not born into a family or living circumstance uh, that would, by today's standards, have him destined to become one of the first active shooters in U.S. history. There are many commonalities when we look at the recipe that it takes to create an active shooter, and almost all of them are identical. However, Charles lived a a fairly normal life, and his childhood, with the exception of a, a very abusive father, it was quite normal. His father was a perfectionist and was never satisfied with his oldest son's accolades. His father would often have violent outbursts and battled anger issues and depression, and Charles scored an IQ of 139 at six years old. He mastered the piano by age nine and was even one of the youngest Eagle Scouts in U.S. history. The one commonality that Charles and his father shared was his natural ability to be a talented marksman with a rifle. And much like his father, Charles enjoyed hunting and target shooting, and that may as well have been their one commonality surrounded by a childhood of abuse and domestic violence. When he was 18, Charles enlisted into the U.S. Marine Corps to escape his father and would later attend the University of Texas, where he would meet his wife and study uh, mechanical engineering. And in the year 1966, a very important year, Charles was 25 years old. And prior to his shooting, uh, Charles complained of thoughts of violence and, and sometimes fits of rage. And like his father, he was prone to extreme bouts of physical violence that he did not understand. Charles actually sought out mental health treatment and visited with several doctors and was ultimately prescribed a, a variety of medications. And the medication part is important because it is the one single commonality with all active shooters, with the exception of the gun itself. And uh, at 6.45 p.m. on July 31st, 1966, Charles began typing a suicide note. And among other things, he wrote, and I quote, I do not really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average, reasonable, intelligent young man. However, lately, I cannot recall when it started, I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. After one session, I never saw the doctor again. And since then, I have been fighting my my mental turmoil alone and seemingly to no avail. After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me to see if there is any visible physical disorder, end quote. After uh, noting that he planned to kill his wife, he also wrote, and I quote, I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment my actions would surely cause her. I truly do not consider this world worth living in, and I'm prepared to die. And I do not want to leave her to suffer in it alone. Similar reasons provoked me to take my mother's life, end quote. Sometime after midnight, Charles visited his mother's apartment where he murdered her. 
He then returned home to his residence and killed his wife on August 1st, around 3 a.m. He stabbed her to death while she was sleeping. Later that morning, Charles would prepare for his shooting and assembled his arsenal. He loaded his weapons and magazines, which included a variety of hunting rifles, shotguns, and handguns. Along with the firearms, he also placed a variety of other supplies into a footlocker, which included food, bottled water, excedrin, and a transistor radio to potentially listen to news reports about the attack. Overall, Charles was very well prepared and put much time into planning his attack. Charles dressed in coveralls that day, which was more than likely an effort to blend in and appear to be some type of construction worker. He arrived at the University of Texas around 11.30 a.m. and strategically placed his footlocker at the top of the clock tower. The tower itself was uh, 28 stories tall, and this provided a very wide range of visibility across the town and also the campus. And shortly after placing the footlocker, he made his way to the reception room of the observation deck on the 27th floor and bludgeoned the receptionist to death. Charles had also shot and killed two people and wounded two others who were utilizing the stairwell moving from the 27th floor to the 28th. There was no uh, elevator access to the 28th floor. And after he barricaded the door to the reception area, Charles moved to the observation deck and then he strategically placed a variety of rifles where they could easily be accessed as he would move from different locations while shooting, uh, essentially becoming uh, operating in a uh, designated marksman role. The observation deck was was very large. It was a large balcony-style deck constructed, uh, uh, constructed of cement and granite that sat just below the very large clock. It offered Charles a 360 vantage point and very reliable cover with the rock walls that were almost three feet thick. And just before noon, Charles fired his first shot at a pregnant woman outside of the mall. The bullet entered her abdomen, killing the woman and also her unborn child. The follow-up shot killed the woman's boyfriend. And after a quick pause, Charles began shooting at a variety of other people and very quickly within a five-block radius. Police arrived on scene a few minutes after the first shots, and the majority of them were only armed with revolvers. This is the 60s we're talking about. And some officers and citizens uh, responded to the scene with their personal hunting rifles, but the advantage Charles had with the high ground, coupled with the time of day in the sun, made it almost impossible to engage him. And Charles would eventually use the large walls as cover and shoot his rifles through the floor level water spouts, making him almost invisible to responding officers. Uh, the cops on scene ultimately made their way to the 27th floor, traveled to the 28th via stairway, and stormed the observation deck, killing Charles immediately. And after more than 90 minutes of pure chaos and carnage, Charles had managed to kill 14 people and seriously wound 31 others. Now, there was much debate in the months that followed as to the reason why. As we know, this incident took place in Texas, a state that values the presence of a firearm and who understands that the only reason why Charles was killed was because brave men with guns, to include the university bookstore manager, pretty badass, uh, ultimately stormed the the. Uh, the area and took his life. However, as time went on, the uh, dissection of this incident would ultimately create the first tactical response teams, soon labeled SWAT, and most agencies adopted this practice almost overnight nationwide. This incident also proved to be a mark in time for mainstream media as it was broadcasted in real time on the television and also the radio. The bottom line is that these people have existed for decades. Uh, you know, 
Evil has existed since the beginning of time. The assault weapons ban of 94 has held no bearing or redirection for you know gun violence in America. Gun laws across the nation still have never proven to truly be effective in the war against gun violence. It's almost as if they know how to fix it, yet they focus all of their efforts on issues that will essentially get them reelected. If the majority of active shooters are purchasing their guns legally, then there needs to be more of an effort made long before they purchase a gun. The gun is simply part of what these individuals need in order to complete the act of violence. And I assure you that is the easy part in comparison to committing the act of violence and taking the life of another person. Sometimes the problem is as simple as everyone ignoring the issues that are clearly known among family and friends. Sometimes it's as simple as everyone assuming that someone else will talk to them. The reality is, is that almost exclusive to the shooter is that we see these people coming long before they ever pull the trigger. Our government leaders are trying so hard to expand the net on gun violence prevention but they are refusing to fix the gaping holes in the net that are allowing these acts of violence to continue day after day. Guys, there is not enough time in the day, and more importantly, not enough time in a podcast to fully dive into what it will actually take to stop these horrible incidents from occurring. It will be a multi-agency, multi-government, multi-mental health, multi-medical, and more importantly, multi-societal movement that is free from political allegiance or party affiliation, where we come together as people to address a topic that everyone wants to see end or at minimum decrease. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're on Instagram, give me a follow at the Zen Cop. And if you're on YouTube, you can check out all of the earlier episodes and, of course, the foundation of where it all began, the blog, which you can visit at thezencop.com. Guys, thank you again so much for listening. I will be back next week. Have a great week. Be safe. Thanks again.